Today's guest is Marianne Vandenbroek, and I was really excited to get Marianne on because I haven't had a psychiatrist uh, even reach out to me yet, and I was interested to, for my own benefit more than anything, I felt like I was a little ignorant around what the role of a psychiatrist was. From what I've seen and from friends' experience, it felt like it was more like they were the doctor you would go to to get the diagnosis and a script for medication. And Marianne is almost not quite rogue, (laughs) but she's definitely bringing together psychiatry, traditional psychiatry, with a lot of alternative kind of therapies that there is a lot of research and stuff to kind of back up. So this is a conversation where we do get super dorky and we talk about the way the brain works and certain research supporting things like EFT or EMDR, which you would have heard about in the episode with Lisa Orkin. And we also talk about the role of, you know, being connected to a sense of self and having some kind of connection to a higher purpose. I hope you really enjoy this conversation. If it's your first time here, please hit the subscribe button. There are a stack of fantastic episodes in the pipelines and in the back catalogue. May I introduce to you Marianne Vandenbroek. Creativity. Expression and feelings. Creativity, self-expression and feelings. Make some noise, 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 make some noise. Not it's a podcast. Okay, let's hear it. Hi, I am Dr. Marianne van den Broek, and I am a psychiatrist from the Netherlands. And today I'm talking to Carly because I have this holistic view on mental health. And I was totally triggered by her mentioning self-expression and creativity as being such a vital part of our mental wellness, basically. And so, yeah, I'm very excited to talk to you today about that. Yeah. So, the, and, and that was actually one of the catalyst for me because I got so swamped with uh, like requests for people to come on the show and we were just talking off um off the show I guess off air about how I I've been really particular about the kind of people that I've had on the show because I definitely don't want to be peddling a solution to you know people's individual mental health journeys. I don't think we can put it in a box and be like, you know, it's just that you lack purpose in your life or it's, you know, it's just nutrition or it's, you know, or you're not moving your body enough. Like I feel like there's like it is an individual journey and um, and sure there's like through lines and all that kind of jazz. We would love to have this one solution, right? Yeah. Like this one size fits all approach and as long as you just follow what I tell you to do, then you'll be better and you'll be better for the rest of your life. I mean, that sounds like a dream, but that's not reality, right? Yeah, (laughs) totally. So I was interested to explore when you reached out and you were like, well, I'm a psychiatrist and I hadn't, I haven't spoken to a psychiatrist and I'm actually really interested to explore that world with you because from my, my own mental health journey, I had experience with other kinds of therapists, psychologists or psychotherapists. Uh, counselors, all that kind of jazz, but never with a psychiatrist. And um, and I feel a little uh, ignorant, I guess, around what the what the role is in the larger kind of mental health 
landscape. Yeah. Okay. So psychiatrists are the worst at PR. So we're just not very good at representing ourselves. So don't feel ignorant. Yeah, <laughs> That's <right>. totally on us. <laughs> cool. Okay, so the system is probably a little bit different in every country, right? But um, basically you have psychiatrists and psychologists, and then you have all these other types of therapists, obviously. Um, and psychiatrists are medical doctors. So they first just trained as a general medical doctor. So lots of like physical training, basically. <laughs> so I did two years of clinical rotations, mostly like doing being in surgery and being like on the wards in a hospital. And then there's a small part of psychiatry in there as well, because there's still sort of this idea that you have the body and the mind and they're not very connected, like in a traditional medical world, world unfortunately. Um, and so then, um, personally, I, after I became an MD, I first did a PhD, partly because I just love uh, to do research and partly because I wasn't sure yet what I sort of wanted to be when I grew up. Um, <laughs> and then I sort of realized, well, I, I really, I'm much more interested in like emotions and in the mind. And that is when I decided to train to become a psychiatrist. So it's a medical specialty, basically. Whereas uh, psychologists go through like um, a psychology training zone so university comparable to me going to med school uh, and afterwards they can sort of specialize so some of them become a uh, clinical psychologist or like a uh, neuropsychologist or that sort of thing um, and those are probably the people that you spoke to and then in many countries there's also very different trainings in different types of therapy so there's like this huge overload of different 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 types of therapy so yeah um, talking to a therapist can mean all sorts of things. Yeah. And, well, I mean, yeah. even on this show, we've had uh, music therapists and art mm -hmm. therapists and, you know, there's a, um, yeah, there's a myriad of different types of therapy out there. So how does psychiatry differ in that respect? Is it a therapy? Well, originally it wasn't that different. So psychiatrists really come into play when there's disease, like sometimes you just have a problem or an issue that is really causing you lots of, you know, soul pain and you go to a therapist. But when you end up at a psychiatrist, then that's really because, well, at least they think there's a disease. So like depression, like anxiety, and usually when it's a bit more severe. So psychiatrists are the only ones, uh, at least in most countries, that get to prescribe medication. Um, so that is one of the reasons that you could end up at a psychiatrist's office. And then also they are trained in uh, different types of psychotherapy. But with the mental health system changing and sort of at least where I live, like in Europe, everything needs to be cheaper, cheaper, cheaper. And we've had lots of training, so we're the most expensive. Um, so they try to sort of get the psychiatrists to do a lot of medication consultations only and then leave the therapy to the like psychology. Right. Okay. So that so that explains why um you know when when I think of a psychiatrist I think of the person that I'd go to to uh yeah basically get a, a like find the right medication for my yeah. condition. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, where, that is what the profession has been sort of, <laughs> right. which is part of the reasons why I'm not in like uh, traditional psychiatry anymore, because I did not become like a medical doctor and a psychiatrist to only hold a prescription pad. Well, I know that's like it's sometimes it's part of the solution for people, but very often it's only a very small part of the solution. So, yeah. Yeah. There's okay. So. So talk to me about your time in psychiatry. What um like like what what did you 
I don't know, like what what did you were, were there particular themes that would come up over and over again? Um, you know, what what were you kind of witnessing in that space? So I um, worked as like a, in a clinical psychiatrist um, when I was training as a psychiatrist. Um, and so I w- was like in the wards where there's really severely ill people like with psychosis and severe depression or severe anxiety that were often like suicidal or like very, very <laughs> mentally deranged. And um, But also like I worked in um, like a medical uh, hospital. So I worked on a ward where they did the, um, the electroconvulsive therapy. I don't know if you've ever wow. talked about that on the show. Probably no. not. <laughs> oh my God, no. So is that like where they almost like electric shock therapy, where they yes, put so things on the... over the cuckoo's nest, right? Oh <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that is like, um, it's a very old technique. And yeah. um, like before, they didn't really know how to sort of, um, well, be gentle with it, basically. But yeah, so it still works. So how you need to think about it is like our body is made up of cells, right? And there's all these electrical currencies. And in some severe depression and also sometimes in severe anxiety, there's just this, um, like the, the currency in the brain is just not moving the way it should. And sometimes like actually applying electrical shocks to the brain can sort of cause a reset. And what they think happens is there's a reset and then you start producing sort of different neurotransmitters than before or like at different spots. And then that can really, really, really cure your depression. But um, it's not without side effects, obviously. Mm. Like, first of all, it's not a very nice idea. Like you actually, you go under anesthesia and then they put these electrodes on you and then um, you... um, sort of get this um, epileptic insult basically and the only thing you see when because you're like under anesthesia except for like this one body part so you see that part actually moving like shaking really hard until it's over and so as you can imagine people suffer from headaches after that and like memory loss but like in severe cases it can really help but that made such a huge impression on me because I was like oh my god it yeah wow horrible to to live through or to see your family member go through so yeah yeah and some people yeah like oh my god it it, you know it does it just brings up all of those um you know scary movies or like yeah when you're when you're watching like I don't know if you watch those shows but paranormal you know whatever and they go into a psychiatric ward and yeah. you know and and there's like the chairs there and all that kind of jazz and you're just like oh my god yeah so wow. it, at least in the Netherlands like they do it only in a couple of hospitals and it's really it's like you go into surgery so you you just go to one of the surgery rooms and there's an anesthesiologist and you're just lying on the bed and then you have this thing in your yeah head, but- so in that in that respect like totally so like how much do we actually know about the brain in that in those kind of situations not enough (laughs) yeah right (laughs) would you like a short like walk yeah totally (laughs) (laughs) I love the dorky stuff give it to me (laughs) so we know there's something up with electrical currency but we don't know exactly what it is that's one um, and then the theories, so your brain consists of different areas and these areas and, or like the cells in your brain, they t- talk to each other. Um, and so there's, um, the one cell that has an electrical currency and the other cell that has an electrical currency, but the way they speak to each other is chemically. So 
through these things called neurotransmitters. You've probably heard of those like dopamine and serotonin and that sort of thing. And so that is how our brain cells communicate. And we think that there's something off with the neurotransmitters, but that's basically as far as we've gotten, which is pretty, well, almost embarrassing. But the thing is just that you can't, um, like if you want to know what's going on in someone's body in the blood, you can just draw blood from the body, right? And sort of look at the different chemicals in the blood. But that doesn't, I mean, you can't just draw blood from someone's brain and, and see what's going on there. And even if you could, then you only know what's going on in a very small spot. So we don't know exactly yet. And then there's the other research into that that does work, <laughs> um, which is like they do these MRI scans now, and they're called functional MRI scans. And maybe you've heard of those before. Um, those tell us a little bit about like how active parts of the brain yes. are. Yes. Yeah. So um, they're the kind of scans when that you'll see on TV with bits of the brain lighting up under different yeah. stimulus and stuff like that. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So they've done quite some research into that. And, um, but the thing is like, um, they have all these promising results, but then like I was trained, um, because I did the PhD, I was also trained to really be very careful about what the research shows you. And the problem is because these things are like hugely expensive, they try to answer as many questions as possible with just one scan. And that just makes the whole result less reliable. Mm. So if I'm being totally honest, I'm afraid that we know like about 10% of what's going on in the brain during mental illness. Yeah, which which then leads you, like it's interesting, right, because I had massive hesitations about doing this show because I didn't want to put I didn't want to put it all in a box, you know. I didn't want to be like in the mental health box, and mm-hmm. uh, and and also I don't have I don't, you know I don't have a piece of paper. I haven't studied anything. All I have is my own experience of mental mm-hmm. illness, um, and my own mental health challenges, and you know my own personal journey through depression and a life living with anxiety. And it didn't, it didn't actually feel like it was enough. You know, I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this because, but it sounds like the, the limited amount that we do know, um, is not very impressive. (laughs) That's right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So, so me using my own personal experience is actually probably just as powerful as what we know from an MRI scan. Yes. Well, for that one, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, like the added benefit of, of well, talking to someone like me, let's just phrase it out, is that I've seen um, many, many, many people with depression and with anxiety. And um, I got to see their journey and how the disease developed and how they would respond to medication or to therapy. So I think that gives you the insights, yes. like looking at the person. But yes. looking into their brain, I don't think we've come very far yet. <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so by looking at the person, what what are like are there commonalities that you would see between um y- you know, the, those little through lines that we can string together? What what have you seen with the with the, you know, people that you've worked with over the years? What are the what have been the um commonalities between them? So this is already subjective, obviously, (laughs) but I think there's a couple of things. So um, first of all, there's this level of genetics and this one we know. So we know that people can have a genetic vulnerability for depression and anxiety. Um, They can have it for bipolar disorder and for schizophrenia. So 
this part we know. So if you have relatives that suffer from mental illness, then purely from a genetic point of view, you have increased odds to be suffering as well. Mm -hmm. But then there's also like your family narrative and here it becomes a little bit more subjective. Right, because I just wrote down lineage, right? Um, Because... For me, and I don't want to talk out of turn here because I don't want to speak for my other family members, but depression is something that, um, you know, ha- has been in our family. And um, and so no real surprise, except no one was really talking about it when I was diagnosed. It, it, mm. it became like a, oh, you know, I was like, oh, you know, being diagnosed with depression. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. That makes sense. So was I, you know, kind of thing. And I was like, how how did I not know this about you? We're related. Um, So there wasn't a lot of talk about it, you know. But if I trace it back, uh, my grandfather fought in Kokoda in the um, Second World War. And it feels like that was a really poignant piece that then fed through the line on my um, father's side. So it's, yeah, so it's interesting how those like that lineage and that family history, not just the genetics oh God, part. But there's but so the- many components about that. So, because part of it is like the genetics that I just talked about, yeah. but you referred to your grandfather. So what we also know, and we know this from mouse research, is when a mama mouse like experiences something horrible, then the epigenetics, which is like you have your DNA and then you have which part of your DNA is actually used like uh, on a day-to-day basis. And that actually changes. And the mother then gives that to her babies that are born afterwards. So then the babies have a similar behavior to the mothers, although they haven't been traumatized themselves. So epigenetics can be part of that as well. Like you actually literally inherit your family history on a physical level. Right. And so does that just happen on the mother's side or both? it no. can happen on both sides? Both. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. that is one part. And then there's like, sometimes there's just this obvious family narrative. Like, for example, my mother had anxiety and sort of, it was almost this given that her daughters and we were with four girls, like that we would be anxious as well. And it was sort of like, yeah, oh, you look at it, you, you're like your mom that way. And it's sort of, so it became part of my narrative when I was so young that I wasn't even able to sort of make my own decision about that. And then there's the one that you refer to where you're like, Hey, I didn't even know that about my relatives, but then there's a big chance that part of you knew, right? Like honestly. Yeah. It was not, not a big surprise. Once I Mm. had been um, diagnosed, I think like for, for me, I remember the actual diagnosis while I was, you know, with my doctor or whoever it was. And she was like, oh, I think you, you know, you might be um, suffering clinical depression. And I was just like, really? And then, but also at the same time, like kind of disbelief, but also, mm-hmm. ah, yeah, yeah, okay. Now that makes sense. This is why I haven't really been able to feel much you know, or I've, mm-hmm. you know, just, I don't know, I just felt very isolated and, um, yeah, and really alone. And, and yeah, and then it just kind of made sense, right? Like I'd kind of always, or even with the anxiety, I don't think I really understood the anxiety piece um, and where it came from until very recently. Like I, mm-hmm. I knew my mum was anxious, but I, I hadn't put together the reasons why, and, you know, and how, yeah, and how that kind of travels down. And so I guess that brings me to the question, you know, me 
I'm a mum of a young daughter myself. Like, uh, what can we do to stop that lineage kind of traveling on down? Ooh, wow. That, yeah, so there's question. many things. Yeah. No, no, no. There's, but there's just so many things. So that's the really good news. Because um, so uh, just a short, so I uh, actually suffered from anxiety and depression myself and I have two very young children. So it became quite personal to me as well <laughs> to sort of figure out like how to fix this. So um, let's just start with the bad news. Like you may have given her the gene that makes her a bit more vulnerable. And then you may have also given her part of the epigenetics, so like the DNA um, transcription thing. And now the good part, we can totally change those things. <laughs> cool. So um, what, what's just really, really important is, so let's start with the genetic vulnerability thing. Um, what we think now is that it's this gene that also... Um, it shows itself in a behavior like these children are uh, usually a bit more sensitive uh, and not like, Oh, they cry, but they're just like sensitive to all the surrounding and also on an emotional level, but also like just for noises and that sort of thing. Yeah. Totally. My daughter from the day she was born way, okay, way, cool. well aware, you know, yeah. like <laughs> you're the kind of daughter <laughs> where you're asleep. backing oh slowly <laughs> out of the room and you close the door and then it just goes and she's like, Meh! <laughs> Like, how did you even hear that? Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> okay, so for the longest time, they thought that this sensitivity was just a problem and an issue. And it's like, oh my God, like, that's never going to be a very healthy functioning adult, right? And they actually now discovered that it's a very positive trait as long as it is treated that way. So if we give our children the space and if we like, for example, if, you're, if your daughter, like, I don't know about yours, but mine, she's like only one and a half years old and she can have these tantrums. Oh mm -hmm. my God, she can be furious. And so what I sort of try to do is give her space. Yeah, totally. Is, and, and sort of hold her. Um, because if we show our children like that, it's okay to have emotions and also from a very young age, try to sort of explain to them. So even like, yeah. she can't really understand me very well yet. And still I, I say to her, Oh, you're very angry now. Right. Oh, you're crying. Cause you're so mad because et cetera, et cetera. So if we teach our children that it's totally okay to have lots of feelings and sort of raise them to be confident about that and just really honor who they are as a person. And that, that is kind of cool then they'll turn out very well and, and they'll actually turn out healthier than um, the people who don't have that specific vulnerability. So that's kind of cool. Well, that is very cool because we are very much a speak about our feelings kind of household because it wasn't like it wasn't something that I grew up with, you know, like speaking mm -hmm. about our feelings was not um, – was not was not a topic of discussion. So I and and feelings are so important to me after yeah. experiencing really numbness for quite a while and having to rediscover. Oh, this is what this is what joy feels like. Oh, this is yes. this isn't feeling yes. safe. Or you know, like stretching out into different emotions and allowing myself to feel rage and allowing myself to. Um, you know, just feel, feel the whole breadth of feel the feels, emotions. The feel the feels. Yeah, that's it, right? And <laughs> yeah, and also that communicate that, right? you know? Yeah, yeah. because um, it, emotional expression is not an unhealthy thing. We can express our emotions unhealthily at times, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, but then it's not unhealthy for us to experience anger, rage, you know, 
bitterness, resentment, all of these feelings exist within us. And uh, to deny them doesn't lead to any good places, really. No, and and usually what we do from a very early age on is we sort of, we try to numb the negative ones. Yes. And sometimes in not very detrimental ways, sometimes it's just by like doing really our best in school and, and but like, even if, if if it's a very healthy way, then still it's unhealthy because you can selectively numb the bad feelings. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But I guess like at, if you're numbing it at this end, it, it's going to numb yeah. it at the other end too, right? Exactly. So you become yeah. like more and more, which I feel like was kind of what I was doing. Uh, not necessarily trying to limit, but I was trying to have all the good feels and then those mm-hmm. good feels really only were coming about because of, uh, you know, drugs and alcohol. That was the yeah. way I kind of ended up getting my good feels. And then, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then just ended up completely numb. So, yeah. and, and you know, like wh- what comes up must go down or whatever it is. Yeah. What goes, yeah, up must come down. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so like it's all good for me to go out on a weekend and take some ecstasy, but, you, you know, Tuesday I'm not going to be feeling very good. <laughs> So, so it was like, and, and I guess like producing those, um, you know, those chemical reactions in the brain, which I'm quite sure that, you know, that's how those kind of upper drugs kind of work, uh, then uh, does it then impact how those things are naturally produced within our brains? If we're. So what we know from addiction is that so it's it's especially dopamine which is one of your happy neurotransmitters and what we know from addiction is that you need more and more and more to get the same result and so obviously if normally um you get dopamine because it's your reward neurotransmitter but reward can also be in oh i'm going to sit outside in the sun for five minutes now yeah which is more my style of you know, yeah. that's more my party style these days. <laughs> <laughs> but then if your body is used to getting like hit with three ecstasy pills over the weekend, well, no way sitting in the sun <laughs> yeah. for five minutes is going right? to give you that. Yeah, totally. No. Yeah. So, so yeah, so that is for, for drugs or, or basically for all addiction. Um, that is the most important reason. Yeah. And then also you're depleting your body, right? So just depriving it of all these nutrients that will help you sort of have like the good brain functioning. So that is also part of the reason. And then just thirdly, just the emotional numbing. Like when you become so used to it and you just sort of lose touch with, with the emotions, like you sort of unlearn feeling in a way, I think. Mm. Yeah. Cool. So, um, I wrote down before I wrote down EMDR, is that like the eye movement thing? You know, you were talking before about, um, like the electroshock therapy kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Does like the EMDR stuff, is there evidence to support that that kind of works in a, not in a similar way? Cause it probably doesn't, but in terms of like changing neural pathways and okay, stuff I'm like going that. to disappoint you again. Yeah. We have no idea how EMDR works either. Okay, cool. <laughs> great so it was discovered sort of by accident and then it turned out that it was very uh very effective treatment for trauma yeah so was it um so it's what what is the actual term for it eye movement something eye movement desensitization rapid wait (laughs) 
EMDR. Maybe it's EMDR, EMRD. I can't remember. It's no, it's EMDR, eye movement, desensitization. I'm not quite sure where they are. It's, but anyway, yeah. that's so. What we think happens is, um, so do you have you explained EMDR in a show before? Oh, we just, just so we've brief. explored. Um, oh, just very briefly, I had um, an episode come out with a friend of mine, Lisa Orkin, and one of my. Yeah, um, oh, so one, yeah. oh right, yeah. So um, so we talked a little bit about it just from her experience. I do, um, you know, one of the therapies that I. Uh, use regularly is kinesiology and it does oh, cool. a lot of eye movement stuff as well and so I yeah. kind of was like um, interested because I have seen it come up more and more as a therapy that seems to be getting some good results and I just kind of was like yeah interested to because you know those things where you're like you've never heard of something and then it's like bing 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 hang on yeah, it's everywhere everywhere yeah, yeah and I didn't so even realize I was kind of magical, doing it right EMDR is kind of magical in the sense that it's it's brilliant treatment. <laughs> like people who've been traumatized for years and years and years can have like three sessions and sort of go on living a very normal and healthy life. So that's pretty cool. That is um, pretty cool. And so the theory, like the psychiatry theory of why EMDR works, is that you sort of you get you relive the traumatic experience. But because while you relive it, and it's mostly in your head, so you're just asked to think about it and sometimes talk just a little bit about the image that you're seeing at that point. But while you're doing that, you're either made to move your eyes by following mm. a light, or you get these clicks in your ears or like um, taps on your knees or that sort of thing. You can even do it like by yourself. Um, and we think that then the memory is stored, like restored. So first you sort of get out of the brain, you restore it again, but without all the emotions tied to it. Um, right. So, okay. So, um, so like, you know, when you're talking, I'm just trying to think of like when I've done like body language training or that kind mm -hmm. of stuff, um, you know, there were, there were always bits about like when people are looking to the past, they look to the left and when they're looking to the future, yeah. they're looking to the right. So is that kind of what's happening? It's like disrupting kind of where the, the things live inside your brain. I mean, probably um, don't even really know that from, well, no, <laughs> from what we do know we about the brain. Know that part. So this is like the very simple explanation of what we think happens. So you, you get the memory out and you put it back in without the emotional, layers but i love the fact that you actually compared it to kinesiology because um so i've actually been into tapping quite a bit oh, yeah. lately which is like a similar technique like yeah, using eft emotional um, freedom technique yeah yep. exactly thanks <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> just in so, case people don't know what it is <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so that is a pretty cool technique as well and it's 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 all kind of similar where we sort of um on the one hand use like the eastern um knowledge of medicine and um like in the west or like in the other types of countries like we're just sort of a bit cocky like oh but western medicine is like the true medicine etc etc and we sort of forget that eastern medicine has been around for like well at least a thousand years longer if not longer so yeah personally i like to sort of look at both and try to sort of get the best out of both worlds. And so that's really based on the fact that um, there can be emotional blockages in your body, right? Yeah, right. Um, yeah, like the energy sense. moves around in our body and can store in different places. And by yeah. tapping on these points, we kind of allow the chi in, um, I guess, in more Chinese medicine kind of terms to flow around the body better. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
promoting our self-healing. And now that totally makes sense with what we just talked about, like that the body is actually made up of all these electrical currencies. So it's really not that different from what we already know in, in like our Western medicine, it's just different words. And for Western doctors, I think it can't be that easy. Like that you actually just get to talk about what you're you know, struggling with and tapping on some points and then actually feel better. Like um, we sometimes yeah. have it can be that easy. So, yes. yeah. so, um, so I guess I'm interested also to explore this kind of, uh, brought this up for me anyway, is like that idea, you know, of like the mixing the Eastern and the Western, like what were for, for you, um, it sounds like you were following this, um, path of like more clinical style psychiatry and then like what shifted for you? Was it that you could see limitations within this or was it personal experience? It wasn't matching up. Like what was the thing that made you go, oh, hang on, maybe this isn't like the full picture? Yeah. Yeah. I think you phrased it very nicely because let me just start by saying that some people, um, like for example, severe depression or actually being in a psychosis when you suffer from schizophrenia or being um, like bipolar and having a mania, is that yeah, mania. Yeah, probably, yeah, right? mania. yeah, we would say mania. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, that is just um, on a neurological level, I would say, then there's just such a disbalance that you um, need some medication first to sort of reset it a little bit. Because um, there's lots of emotional healing that you can do, and there's lots of like cognitive work, and well, there's all sorts of things, but sometimes it's just so bad that you need some of the medication first to reset things. So, I'm not saying like leave traditional me medicine, and if you're struggling with anything, I would definitely consult with a doctor as well as any you know alternative uh, specialist you want to consult. But also yeah, because it is, it is a it's it's also a really personal decision, right? Because even yeah. though uh, when I had my diagnosis and I went around to a few people and kind of, you know, voiced what was going on for me, um, for me, I got an overwhelming response from the people who were medicated um, for me to try the other alternatives first mm -hmm. because they'd found yeah. it really difficult to get off the drugs and, um, you know, and they were just like, if if you can try some alternatives first, do that and then see what kind of happens. And and so that was my own journey. Um, and their journey was the other way around. You know, they they went on the drugs and kind of came off them and then found their way into the alternate therapies. So totally true, right? Like it is an individual thing and we have to um Yeah, and sometimes you don't have a choice. Yeah, I, right. I do like sometimes it's just too severe. Like I used to have this lady and she had schizophrenia, and every time she sort of got into this episode, then she would call it call it like a kundalini revelation sort of thing. But in the meantime, she was laying literally on the side of the highway, unable to move. And I was like, yeah, sure, it's a kundalini revelation, but right now we need to put some drugs into you because otherwise you will die. Yeah, and right. Yeah, for some people, yeah, when it comes to just, like personal yeah. safety um, and yes. the safety of the personal people around them. Or just not being able to process any yeah. other type of treatment because you just can't think clearly. So, but yeah, definitely in most cases, I would try to do it without medication, but in some ca cases you have to. And so my personal experience was a combination of actually my professional experience and then my experience with postpartum depression, um, where I sort of felt like, um, like, as a doctor, you have all these protocols that you have to adhere to. And I would always say, well, yeah, you can definitely combine it with like the more alternative methods, but 
um, that would not be like a joint treatment, right? Because I would be like in my building and they would be in theirs and there was no communication. And and yeah. so that sort of felt off. And then also like the other disconnect that I was referring to before, like that we sort of would ignore that this um, unhealthy mind was also in a body. So we wouldn't talk about like uh, food uh, choices or movement or well, that sort of thing and let alone like self-expression or creativity yeah. or sort of giving any type of meaning to your like it just wasn't part of the treatment because it was all very well to the point let's just call it I mean it's not <laughs> and so yeah so it, it felt like I was selling these people short and uh, it felt like I was sort of fixing them fixing them up just enough to sort of go back into society and then they would just come back and some of them would come back after a few years some of them after 10 years but some of them would like be revolving door clients and it was just it didn't feel very very right and then for me personally, so I had a postpartum depression after I had my son, uh, so my first uh, my firstborn, and um, I had to be put on medication as well because I was just I was very ill and I was just confused. And um, but then afterwards, after I started to get a little better, I started talking to a psychiatrist, and he was a very very kind person. But it was just. Well, I was experiencing the same thing, right? But then from the other end, and I was mm. like, well, yeah, but this is not going to give me the answers and also I just had this almost like a voice in my hand it wasn't a voice in my hand it was like my intuition saying but you need to heal emotionally and I didn't even know what that meant but I did know that I wasn't going to do it with the medication or with talking to that very very friendly man but who just didn't have those type of skills so that is when I sort of started to do my research and sort of expanding my horizon and eventually so I ended up sort of finishing my my uh, psychiatry um, uh, specialty training and then the day I finished and and got my piece of paper I quit because um, I was like <laughs> yeah, I just can't function anymore in this environment and was just yeah. I wasn't happy and I thought there there must be a way to to treat these people more holistically. So yeah, so I started a private practice and I'm sort of always looking for um like stretching the boundaries just a little bit. Yeah. And so what kind of what kind of um you know other modalities or therapies have you explored since um you've been I don't know, cracked open yourself. <laughs> it is kind of like that though, isn't it? Like I do feel like it's like, um, you yeah. know, it is like a cracking open. Um, there's cracking that beautiful. Open. Also sort of like you've got your core self and then you've got like a million layers. Oh my God, that so you, many layers. You need to up one by one and, and until you sort of rediscover yourself and it's like, hey, it's you again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And I, there's that beautiful image of the woman who's like, um, you know, the concrete woman and she's like cracked open and the light's coming out of her and it's such a stunning image and, and that's kind of how I guess I feel my last decade has been, just like, you know, cracking, cracking open, um, and allowing like the real me to kind of come out beyond all the concrete layers <laughs> of who I thought I needed to be. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there's no one size fits all answer, obviously, but I do think that on a core level, when we get depressed and also when we get anxious, there's this disconnect from who we truly are and also just forgetting the fact that we are perfect and we are light and we are like beautiful human beings and there's nothing wrong with us 
And because we spend our whole life sort of trying to fix all these things about us and trying to be something that we're not, we're just very disconnected from that true self. And if we sort of manage to establish a connection again, and let me just be honest, I, I still don't have it like 24 seven. I mean, I mean I who does? all the time. <laughs> who does? I don't, I don't think we'd be on this earthly plane if we, if we didn't that have some sense, right? shit to move through, right? <laughs> But yeah, so I try to put reminders in into my day and sort of, yeah, do lots of work. And yeah, so so that was the core for me. So it was the healing of the emotions, um, rediscovering myself, and um, then actually allowing myself to like be myself. So that's where like the creativity and self-expression part probably comes into the mix. Um, and I used all sorts of modalities. So I did uh, Qigong, which is like um, sort of meditation practice, but then also with movement, which is all about like the, the qi that you talked about, right? Yeah. Um, and then I did uh, theta healing. Oh, oh yes, God. I've done that. Oh, my God, that was amazing. Oh, so I actually, I actually used to have how to do it myself. Oh, did now you? Oh, it's so, it's so good. It. It's um, I had a woman on my team um, for Radcasters when I was um, running my podcasting school full time. And mm-hmm. uh, and she was a she was like an angel of a human being, but she was um like a my online business manager so she would handle all of like my creating my funnels and all that kind of jazz and setting up my webinars and and she was a theta healer so it was like amazing because I would come (laughs) up against my own shit constantly and she'd be like right get on the floor we're doing a healing (laughs) and it was just it's such a good um yeah such a great therapy yeah so for anyone who doesn't know like I mean we could do a whole episode about theta healing but Like the core of it is like uh, that healing actually gets to be easy. So that is the part I loved about it most. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you don't have to talk about your problems for three years and you don't have to suffer, suffer, suffer. Sometimes you can just learn the lesson that was needs to be learned and then move on and sort of be rid of that specific problem. So I love it. Yeah. That. And so the theta healing part, um, you know, like just to explain it a little bit, and this is my limited knowledge, but like our brains have different waves that they work on. Is that right? And yeah. there's like the, um, or some of the wor- words we know from just general language, like alpha state, beta state. Is it that right? I'm thinking like beta and yeah, then I'm thinking, so, hang so on, my right? It, like, is it's it like based on quantum, quantum physics, actually. Yeah. And then it's based on the brainwave thing again. And so um, the theta is the one that's very close to sleep. And it's also the one that children between two and six-year-old are in. And so if you know a two to six-year-old, then you know that you can sort of tell them something that might be completely ridiculous. And on first glance, they will believe you. So their brain is just very open to all types of suggestions. And when you go and do the theta healing, you actually bring the brain back into that state And then you can very easily remove all these ideas that the brain have that are actually not true, but are very sort of debilitating and put in like very loving and awesome thoughts like back into the brain and it will believe it. Um, So, yeah, that is sort of what you do. And and it is like it's quantum physics in a way because it's about, um, you know, changing your DNA on an epigenetics level. Well, we know that is true, uh, possible. We know about the brainwaves being possible. And then we also know there's this one other thing. So your healer is actually the witness of the change happening. And so this ties back into that if no one sees it, then it hasn't happened. 
Right. Um, so you have a horrible example of Schrodinger's cat, don't know you, like no. where Schrodinger said, well, if you put a cat in a box with a bomb and you put it in a soundproof area so you can see the box but you can't hear anything, then the cat is still like, and there's a sticking bomb, right? And you don't know when it goes off or if it goes off. As long as you don't look in the box, the cat is still alive. That's a mind fuck. Because <laughs> it, it hasn't happened as long as you haven't seen it. Right. It's a weird thing to think about. But like even on the Big Bang Theory, like the show, they talk about it all the time. So it's a totally <laughs> accepted thing in physics, apparently. <laughs> I might have to add that to Is it so, on Netflix? Yeah. My Netflix viewing. <laughs> yeah, oh, right. Yeah, Big Bang Theory. Oh, it's not, a, it's not an Australian thing. It's pretty funny. Oh, no, no. I've heard of Big Bang Theory, but I haven't oh, okay, watched cool. any yeah. episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So Schrodinger's Catch, you can totally look that up. Yeah. So those three things. So, so putting someone in the right brain waves and uh, looking up all the things that you think that are not helping you putting back things that do help you and then someone witnessing it which is the healer wow cool and so you studied in out there so when i'm officially seeing patients as a psychiatrist i do not use this modality yeah so is it similar to hypnosis is it a similar state that we go into when uh, we're in the same state but it's 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 yeah it has similarities for sure yeah right yeah cool yeah so so you don't use it necessarily in a um uh I don't do the actual healings on my patients. Yeah, right. But I do like connect to well what I call source energy. So mm. I believe that there's this universal wisdom, right? And it's just that's not only a woo belief, but there's also actually so like psychiatrist Carl Jung and he lived like I think he was born in the 1920s or something and even he already had this theory about this collective subconscious. So um, I, think I mean, it's, it's hard to deny effective. when you like, you know, I don't know, like when, when, I mean, <laughs> I have, I have this ongoing joke about me being plugged into the same cloud as Oprah because we, we tend to do things around the same time. So, oh, and so then, funny. and then I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm Carly Nimmo and she's Oprah. So it's like, um, I had this idea years ago for like a, um, a, a TV programming network, which was like all TV programs for the salt. And at the same time she announced oh. <laughs> own. Wow. And then and then I, I went away on a retreat and I had this like divinely guided um message to create a 21 day online guided meditation course. This was back in 2012. And then there she goes with Deepak. With Deepak, I know, and I was like, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? And then just last week I um I heard from one of my uh, most devout, my other podcast, Carlosophies, um, one of my most devout podcast listeners. And she was like, oh my God, I was just listening to your episode. I'd done an episode on how, um, you know, like what game are we playing anyway? Playing a big game, mm-hmm. playing, you know, following your big dreams, et cetera, et cetera. Like yeah. what, what, what are we even mm-hmm. playing here? And, and she messaged me and she was like, oh my God, you won't believe this. Like I listened to your podcast episode and then I listened to Oprah's podcast episode this week and it's on the same topic. <laughs> Okay. And it, so, yeah. it happens all the time, right? So like, you're a believer. For sure. <laughs> yeah, right. Like we're all plugged into the same cloud. Nothing is new. Yeah. Um, you know, we're all just like plugged in and yeah. it's it's why sometimes well, there's things that to, come up. We are plugged in, right? Because yeah. you can totally yes. do that. And yes. I actually believe that for some people, that is part of the reason why they get depressed because they're just so disconnected from like the bigger picture. And yeah. so that have these intuitive hits but they ignore them or they don't know what to do with it and sort of 
yeah, puts them farther and farther away from themselves and also from the source. And then that might lead, well, not lead solely, right? But it can, it can certainly contribute. Yeah. And it's definitely been my, um, you know, my experience was one of complete disconnection from spirituality, whatever that means for whoever mm. is involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, uh, you know, it, it really relates to faith in something bigger than me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love, so in Theta, that is one of the things that they talk about. Like spirituality doesn't have to be like believing in some sort of source energy or God or whatever you want to call it. But spirituality is also like the earth is spiritual. Like yeah. plants are spiritual, animals are spiritual. So like it's just believing that there's more than you that actually sort of contributes to That's how you it. feel and how the world yeah right and I mean I I don't like I don't know anyone you know we've got some I live in a really beautiful part of the world and I don't know how anyone can stand on the beach and not think that there's a greater power you know (laughs) it's like the waves it's just like a a beautiful reminder of like the 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 um yeah the the magic of life right like the oceans moving in in like alignment with the moon what the how weird is that (laughs) so weird and women we work on a similar cycle what the like it's just you you can't I don't know like the more that um that I've plugged into and and found my own version of spirituality the more at home I feel within myself too and the more that I can have trust and faith whatever that means you know um yeah yeah we totally drifted up. Oh, yeah. So I was saying the things that I do use in my therapy. Yes. Um, so I have started incorporating the EFT because there's actually some research like from proper medical journals, whatever that may mean, um, that sort of showed that it can have really good results for like anxiety, depression and trauma again. So I'm using that um, and it works really well. And people really love it because sometimes you don't want to like talk for 45 minutes like every week. Sometimes you want to sort of be doing something, if that makes mm, sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, I like to sort of switch things up. So. So that is kind of a healing modality, but it has been more widely accepted. Yeah. And what do you use on a personal level? <sighs> All the things. <laughs> and no, so in terms of, level. yeah, yeah, in terms of like, um, you know, when it comes to that creativity piece and the um, self-expression piece, what are the things that you, you know, cultivate? Have you got practices around that that you cultivate within your own life? Yeah, so for me, and and I think people will probably recognize that, is that there's always this block between me and sort of being able to be creative and being able to express myself. And it shouldn't be there, but it is, right? And and it's usually some type of fear. So either the fear of just, you know, creating something rubbish, I guess, or yeah. like not feeling creative at all, or um, like expressing myself and then being rejected and that sort of thing. So for me, the biggest thing in sort of cultivating this is sort of always be looking at my my blocks and things that are holding me back. And I know that when I haven't been creative, so for me, I love writing, especially, but also just, you know, being around creative people, looking at art and that sort of thing. And I have, if I haven't been doing that for a while, then I know something is off. So Yes, I know. That, that isn't is it funny? Because it is one of the first things that can drop off. You know, so it's like um, when I know just the last month or so has been like crazy busy for me and usually I carve out intentional time to just 
you know, play. And and luckily yeah. have like a five-year-old daughter who does help with that aspect because she's always wanting to make something. Yeah. So I know? love that you mentioned play, like, because it doesn't have to be like this very serious creativity or making something beautiful, but just yeah. being like, so we do living room dances for like three minutes every morning with the kids and it's just us being silly for a minute and it just totally helps and if yeah. I skip it one day then I sort of it feels off so yeah it can be as small as that for yeah. sure yeah I mean one of the one of the game changes for me was and this isn't like but it is also um an expression it was making my bed you know it it was oh, one wow. of those things yeah. and I actually identified this on one of my Carlosophy's early episodes I've made it every day for over three years now, um, even if I'm on holidays, because mm-hmm. it is just one of those keystone habits like creativity that mm-hmm. falls on the way, by the wayside when I'm struggling with something. But if I can commit to just like making the bed, um, I don't know, it just it, it was profoundly life-changing for me, just making that commitment to myself and then every day seeing it through. It shifted everything. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I think that the funny thing is that sort of sometimes we need to trick our brain into believing something. And I think so the, the making the bad habit is such a beautiful one because if you're making your bed, then apparently you're you're not you're doing all right because otherwise you would be lying in the bed or sort of <laughs> leaving yeah, it yeah, not and, never getting out of the bed. So yeah, so you're sort of telling your brain, hey, we're all right today, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and yeah, so there's lots of habits. And also don't freak out if you hate making your bed because there's yeah. just some people no, I can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Examples, right? Uh, but that, um, that's when yeah. it—that's when the key of like you know listening to yourself and what makes you feel yes. good because yes. it could have easily okay. have been anything. It could have been like you know carving out five minutes for a cup of tea every day, like what whatever it is. Um, for me, the bed w- did represent something, right? Like it did represent this was a space when I'm when I'm exhausted. I just don't want to get out of here, like ever. And I think many people who have struggled with depression and anxiety recognize this one. totally yeah and so it's like symbolic you know yeah and I work from home so and I usually go to the toilet in our ensuite and so I'd walk past my my bed all the time and when it wasn't made it would just be like more clutter more you know mess and I don't cope well in that kind of environment so having a made bed you know it, it seemed like a small token thing but what it ended up showing me was like I actually am a really consistent human and I'd never yes. considered that to be the case. Oh, yeah. So many people, creative people think this, right? I never follow through. I never finish anything. I get distracted easily. And then just that's not true. Like it's not true all the time. So, yeah. No, I yeah. I think sometimes we've got to look for the evidence to support the fact, you know, or to. to... It's never true all the time. It's just there's, there's <laughs> nothing right. in the world that is true all the time. So just stop telling yourself that because you're putting yourself down. Yeah, absolutely. Or tell yourself it and then say, I'm the type of person who doesn't follow through ever. And I completely love and accept myself for it. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. and tap tap on yourself while you're doing tap it. Tap on it a bit as well. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved this conversation. Um, yeah, are there any too. parting God, words like of wisdom? For hours, right? I know. I know. <laughs> I feel like we could. I was like, oh my God, we've been talking for an hour. What the? Where did that time go? Because I've only scratched the surface. I need you here for like eight more, um, yeah, at least. Yeah. We're just doing a <laughs> 
So I guess like at the end of the show, I'd like to offer an invitation to everyone to, you know, uh, find their own kind of expression. So what what would be your invitation for people who are looking to reconnect to themselves and the truth of who they are? Well, like the easy answer is, of course, there's just not one way. But I was so I have been thinking about this and I'm kind of obsessed at the moment. But I was wondering whether maybe your listeners would like a tapping script for it. Yeah. So actually do a script where they can sort of reconnect to reconnect to their creativity and get some blocks out of the way. Yeah, that sounds that they great. Can sort of do when they're disconnected. Yeah. So then that might be an idea. Yeah, cool. All right. Um, so I don't I don't have an email list or anything like that. So um do you want to No, send but maybe them- you can just Send yeah, put your it in way. your show notes or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, all right. So, uh, in the show notes, because we don't have a URL yet, but if you are interested in getting that, it will be in the show notes. You'll be able to click yeah. straight through. And where can people find you and connect with you? Oh my God, you should totally put that in the show notes as well, because they're not going to be like, <laughs> know what my name looks like. If <laughs> okay, so it's all going to be in the show notes. <laughs> You're going to spell it in a different way than you expect. Yeah, so it's yeah. just my name.com. <laughs> okay, cool. And that will also be in the show notes. Yeah, that will be in the show notes. So like any women who uh, would just love to talk about this some more or like, you know, do some coaching. You're very, very welcome, obviously. Perfect. Thank you again. Really, really, really appreciated it. And it like I loved it. Oh, you know what I loved about it is that it's like um it's I love that you have married both together. I love that you've married the the clinical side of things with like this more spiritual side of things because I do feel like that's kind of the missing piece is that yes. belief a in a higher right? purpose. Belief in a higher purpose and just the holistic view. I mean, that is going to change this world, I think. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, we need to spread that message. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Well, we're doing our best. Thank you again. I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love that you have this podcast. It's just brilliant. And that's a wrap. Go to carlynimo.com to find ways to connect to your creativity and live life on your frequency. Until next week, make some 